as we come uh, to this wonderful psalm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth that you are our refuge and strength. Lord, we come to you this morning knowing that that many of us will have come and and left difficult things behind or be heading home uh, to difficult things. Lord, we pray that as we hear this truth that you, by your Spirit, would encourage us afresh through these words that we have a refuge in you. Lord, please work in our hearts. Help us to listen to you. Help us to be ready to be comforted or challenged and changed by your spirit. And speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, is this wonderful? It's working. Um, we, I don't know about you, I kind of love a survival story. You like a survival story? Um, I think it's kind of a cultural phenomenon, probably throughout the ages. Tales where humans go through extreme conditions which kind of test the very limits of their bodies, their minds, their emotions. Um, you can tell they're popular every few years. A film comes out that's another survival story. Um, about 20 years ago, we had Castaway with um, Tom Hanks stranded on a desert island with a football called Wilson. Um, more recently, we had um, The Revenant. I didn't put a picture up of this one. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio survives being mauled by a bear. Um, wouldn't recommend that for the faint-hearted. Um, Although there's a, a well-known story touching the void. I wonder if you've come across that. The climber, Joe Simpson, he survived uh, a broken leg after having uh, the rope cut by his fellow climber when climbing in the uh, Celia Grande in, in Peru. And amazingly, he, he made it. And it was turned into a very popular book and popular film. Um, I could go on and on. We love a survival story. And when I was younger, I used to love... Uh, watching programs about kind of bushcraft and survival skills. You had, you've got kind of Bear Grylls now. I wonder if he's even been kind of surpassed. But, but when I was little, it was Ray Mears. And uh, that, was, that was great kind of midweek TV afternoon viewing. Um, my uncle, he was a scout leader as well. So every time I vis- went to visit them, normally involved a trip to the woods that involved knives and making fire. Um, just the kind of idea of extreme conditions and surviving. And we love kind of thinking about those sorts of things. And we love hearing how other people have have got through it. The truth is, these kind of extreme conditions I've been talking about, most of us are pretty unlikely to go um, through some of that. There aren't many bears in Winchester, um, not many deserted islands, however many jokes we might make about the Isle of Wight. Most of us probably won't get stranded on the side of Everest, Um, Most of us won't need to know how to kind of skin a squirrel or collect condensation um, or make a fire in the woods. But we do encounter extreme conditions of other kinds, don't we? Some of you have been through those this past year. Some of the hardest in your life. Some of you are going to be going through them right now. And we need wisdom much greater than than Ramirez or Bear Grylls um, can offer. And for many Christians, centuries, Psalm 46 has been a precious companion when facing extreme conditions. Uh, And not just for surviving them, but flourishing in them. 
I wonder if you saw the title of the psalm for the director of music of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah in the title, they know a thing or two about extreme conditions. Go back to Numbers chapter 16, we see um, Korah and his family disobeyed God's holy laws and led others into sin, and literally the ground opens up before them and they are swallowed in judgment. But here they are, years later, in, in these Psalms. Korah's line isn't wiped up. They become serving as musicians and priests to the king. They haven't just survived, they've flourished. They should be dead, but they're alive and helping others to praise and serve the living God. Well, I'd like us to see three pearls of wisdom that this psalm gives us, not just for surviving extreme conditions, but for flourishing in them. In extreme conditions, we're going to see God giving us, firstly, a refuge, verses 1 to 3, giving us provision, verses 4 to 7, and giving us peace, verses 8 to 11. Let's look at the first of those. In extreme conditions, God gives us refuge, verses 1 to 3. Refuge, there is help in trouble. Have a look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Verse one is, is kind of like the psalm in, in miniature. Uh, I wonder if you heard, have a look down, verse seven and verse 11 um, have got very similar ideas. Refuge, we get that repeated in our fortress at the end of seven and 11. Um, the idea of being our strength is the Lord Almighty, uh, or some translations, the Lord of hosts. It's literally the Lord of all armies. And, and ever present, the Lord is with us, verse seven and 11. It's like the whole psalm in, in miniature, and it tells us there is help in trouble. There is help in extreme conditions, a refuge for God's people, and that is in God himself. Sometimes maybe found, well, you might not be, but people get found kind of wandering the, the hills at night. Uh, snow comes in, a storm comes in, uh, and they have no place to take shelter. You kind of hear about those stories. Um, I used to kind of watch 999, kind of emergency shows. You hear about that, the people stranded in situations. But God wants us to know that will never be the case for his children when they face trouble. There will always be help in trouble. And that's, that's the main point of the psalm, really. And if you take nothing else away, then go back home, read verse 1, verse 7, and 11, and, and give thanks for that truth. But the danger is, that verse, we can easily turn it into a little bit of a, a kind of fridge magnet verse, can't we, I think? We start to minimize what he means by, by trouble. Uh, and when the trouble gets smaller, so does the help that we need from God. I'm not saying we, we don't need help or for a trip to the dentist or, or with a noisy neighbor or, or, or other things. Nothing is too small for God to take an interest in. But the trouble he's talking about here is much, much bigger. Have a look at verse two to three. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way 
and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Mountains are are kind of the most solid thing imaginable, aren't they? But here, they are slipping down the slope like some melted ice cream. I wonder if you've ever kind of walked along a beach and seen a, a cliff that's collapsed, that's eroded, and, you, and you've had to kind of stop walking down because it goes all the way into the sea. Now, imagine being able to look up and, and see that, that that had come all the way down from something the size of, of Machu Picchu, and it's gone down into the sea. It's a picture of everything that is stable and solid suddenly collapsing around you. This is the kind of trouble he's talking about. Or verse 3, the sea raging and foaming like a storm. Uh, A a childhood friend of mine, his dad was an oceanographer, and he'd kind of share about going out on on boats to do research, kind of about plankton and, and things like that, but being caught in storms with waves that were 10, 20 meters high and just kept pummeling you, and you went up and down wondering if it was ever going to get calm. That is the kind of trouble that we are talking about here. Life-threatening, life-altering. That is what he means by trouble. Times when everything that should be stable has given way. Perhaps somebody close to you has died. Perhaps it's a relationship which felt so secure but has now left open wounds because they have walked out of your life. Perhaps it's security of of a job and with it your place to live or or worry about bills and and how you're going to get through the next few months ahead. Moments like these are often ones that we can recall like yesterday, even if they happened a long time ago. Some of us will know this very personally and all of us will know it at at a bigger global level, won't we? Well, Psalm 46 tells us that there is help in trouble, in this kind of trouble. We're not left wandering the hills without somewhere to take shelter. But what difference does that make to our response? Well, one thing, I think it means we can face danger and despair with our eyes open. Notice, he doesn't say the trouble isn't real, It's imaginary. And he doesn't say, stop worrying, get over it. The trouble is literally shaking the earth right here. But there is help in trouble, a very present help. His answer isn't to minimize it, but it's to say that God is stronger. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. Verse 7, the Almighty, the Lord of hosts of angel armies. And what does that mean, verse 2? Therefore, we will not fear. The author and pastor, Matt Sells, says these words. These aren't the fragile words of, of a man who's kind of closing his eyes to the world that we live in. This is the bedrock certainty that we can have by opening our eyes to the protection that the Lord gives his people. Because God is refuge and strength. We do not have to close our eyes, but can look trouble square on, knowing that there is help. 
So don't believe the lie that no one will come and help or that no, that troubles are, are too big. We can have help that looks trouble in the eye because God's is our refuge. There is help. But what does that help look like? What does it look like? What does it look like when we kind of get inside the refuge? Um, some of you may have been at wild camping in Scotland. They have these things called bothies, I think. Um, I don't know if that's how you say it. And they might be a good shelter um, for kind of what you need, but I think they're, they're kind of pretty Spartan inside. Well, that's not the help that God offers. What's it like when we go in the shelter? Well, that's our second point. That in extreme conditions, God offers provision. And what is that provision? It is gladness in his presence. Gladness in his presence. Have a look at verse four. And we've got another picture now. We've had kind of uh, mountains and, and seas and raging storms. Verse four, such a contrast. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We see a, a river with a, a river with a city running through it, a city with a river running through it. Unlike those dangerous waters in, in two to three, this is good water, refreshment. And cities, they need a water supply to withstand kind of ambushes and sieges. We see, second half of verse four, this city is the holy place where the most high dwells. He's talking about the temple. This city is Jerusalem itself. But that's surprising because Jerusalem didn't have a river running through it. There was a tunnel that Hezekiah built to bring water in underground, but not a river going through it. As we carry on, verse 5 shows us this river isn't a kind of real one, but it's a picture the psalmist is giving us of a deeper reality. A picture of verse 5, that God is within her. She will not fail. This river which brings provision and life is God himself. He is the source of gladness. His mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness. And as the psalmist is talking about this life-giving water, picking up on this theme of life-giving rivers throughout the whole Bible. It's where it started back in Genesis 2, in the Garden of Eden. Eden, we're told, is a source of four rivers which go out to the world. Not just one river, but, but, but four. It's the source of all refreshment and provision for the whole earth, just like God is. That's at the beginning of the Bible. And at the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, we have the new Jerusalem. And we see the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. This river of life-giving water comes from God himself. And in the middle of the Bible, Jesus himself, he meets the woman at the well in John 4 and says... Whoever drinks the water that he gives will never be thirsty again. It will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God as our refuge isn't like a, a Scottish body. Um, I found one online um, and um, 
it, 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 in a Scottish bother, you take refuge and it's an empty shell and you kind of get there and you're sort of left with whatever was there before. That is a particularly bad one, I'll admit. Um, but you're kind of left with this stale smell of whatever was there before. No, as we take refuge in God, that is nothing like that. God as our refuge is the most abundantly supplied shelter we could ever ask for. All sufficient. And not simply water or food or or warmth for temporary needs. No, God provides for our deepest needs by giving us himself, his very presence. And you see verse five, God is within her. And his presence is a remarkable provision. We saw in in those verses, he's at the same time uh, the most high, the Lord almighty, and with his people. He is above them, but also beside them. What an amazing provision to have the one who rules over all things at your side. And his presence is is constant. Do you see verse 5? God will help her at break of day. That's the sense of being new every morning. The gift of his faithfulness, his faithful help. But in this picture, this picture of all-sufficient provision of help to meet our deepest needs, of gladness in God's presence, notice this picture doesn't show that the trouble has, has all gone away. Just outside the city gates, verse 6, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Alongside this joyful picture, we do have things, trouble raging on in the background. But alongside that noise, there is also gladness in the presence of the everlasting arms of God. And they can still say, verse 7, even though they can hear the battle cries, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God gives provision, gladness in his presence. But in extreme conditions, God's presence might not be the help that we would always wish for, at least not number one on our list. Sometimes he takes the trouble away, and that's often the thing that we would ask for first, isn't it? And that is not a wrong thing to pray for, let me say that. But often the trouble does continue, and it can be very hard. His presence might not be the help that that we desperately want in that immediate moment, but it is the help that we need to know that we're not alone, more than not alone, present with the Most High for all of our days, present with the one who brings the greatest gladness to our souls. Corrie ten Boom was a, a Christian who knew a fair share of extreme conditions, who has an amazing survival story. You can go and read about it. Um, but she uh, said this, that in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. The Lord Almighty, we see here, has given his very self to his people as a refuge for them in our deepest struggles, whether that's the daily grind of life or the piercing sadness of some particular 
situation for you. And what that quote tells us is that there's a kind of mysterious irony that it is through these storms that might well be the way to knowing joy in his presence more than any other situation in life because they force us to take shelter in him in a way that nothing else would. One person who knew this uh, was uh, a man called Matthew Henry. Um, Matthew Henry might be known to some of you as the writer of a six-volume commentary on the Bible. Um, Many people own these six volumes. Few have read them all. Um, Now, he is well known for that, but he uh, he was alive in in the uh, 1600s, and and he experienced considerable um, suffering, including the, the death of his first wife when she was giving birth to a child. And he lost three more children in infancy. Who's someone for whom the storms raged very strongly indeed? Yet listen to what was said about him. There was a loveliness in his spirit and a gladness in his heart which caused others to feel how happy a thing it must be to be a Christian. This cheerfulness pervaded his entire life. One reason of the great power of his life over many who were not religious people lay in the constancy of that happy spirit which they saw and coveted. Now I'm sure he had his down days, but the provision of God's presence gave him gladness in a way that was visible to all and a way that transcended the most extreme conditions. Well, in extreme conditions, God gives us a refuge. There is help. He gives us provision, the gladness of his presence. But even for someone like Matthew Henry or or Corrie ten Boom, the the ongoing intermingling of, of joy and also sorrow, it can feel exhausting, can't it? And wearing. And that's why the psalmist ends by showing us, thirdly, that God gives us peace. He shows us where all things end in verses 8 to 11. You see verse 8, we're invited to see the works of God, where history ends. And this invitation comes in in verse 8, and then a second one in verse 10. Verse 8, to behold, and then in a minute, verse 10, to be still. Firstly, to to behold. Verse 8, have a look down. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. It's like we're given a kind of flying whistle-stop tour throughout, um, throughout history of the mighty deeds of God. Remember, this is the Most High, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of all armies. So, of course, he can bring an end to war and conflict. And he doesn't just bring it locally, but verse 9, to the ends of the earth. And it's not just a ceasefire, a kind of temporary thing. Because, look, weapons themselves are destroyed. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. It's like pictures of seeing tanks burned out. There's a wonderful picture in Isaiah chapter 2 about swords being kind of bent and turned into plows. What we have here is a picture of God bringing war to an end and bringing about peace. 
And for the psalmist, this is, he's looking back and saying, God has done this in the past. And if you just skip on to verse 10, he moves to a future day where one day he says, I will be exalted. I think we're supposed to see in those mighty deeds God has done, every end to war, end to conflict, a little picture of one day what will happen, that one day he will bring peace and he will rule. But how is he going to do it? Well, it's not through appeasement or or kind of bargaining. Throughout the Old Testament, we see him sending his prophets, even sending his son to the world, but rebellion keeps going. And here we see he brings peace through his unstoppable judgments. Great force is needed to deal and bring an end to great violence and evil. But when God brings things to an end, he does it perfectly. Perfect and lasting peace means an end to all wickedness and all evil. And that is a future to long for, isn't it? Never Again, almost impossible to imagine. Some of you might know I'm a big fan of the singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson. Every, I've seen him three times, every time I've cried. Um, but there's a, a song where he imagines the last tear falling at the end of all things because no more evil will be done. Let me just read you um, some of these words. After the last tear falls, after the last secrets told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poison tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, after the last young husband sails off to join the war, after the last this marriage is over, after the last young girl's innocence is stolen, after the last years of silence that won't let a heart open. In the face of that, we're told, behold the works of God. Peace is coming. There will be a last to every one of those. And if you're in that season of of trouble and taking refuge in God, he says, take heart. That day will come. It won't be forever. Never again will we hear bad news. Never again will we shed tears of grief. Never again will we need to offer prayers for war-torn lands or broken marriages or children who haven't come home. I wonder, out of that list, what you might be longing to see the last of whether it's something out there or something particular in here. God knows, and he longs for that too, and he is going to do something about it. And every time we doubt that that's going to happen, we're told to behold the works of God and see where he is taking history, that peace is coming. It's a glorious future, and we should marvel at it, especially when... Everything around us feels so stormy. But it's also a future that can make us tremble a bit, isn't it? Because of what God has to do to to bring about that ending. That sinful wickedness that he is coming to judge is not just out there, but we know that it is in our own hearts as well. Psalm 130 says, Lord, if you counted our transgressions against us, who could stand? 
What refuge could we find on that day? Well, the psalm tells us that the only refuge from God is God himself. Verse 2, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As well as beholding, we're told to be still. Now, this is another one of those verses which, which can be a little bit of a fridge magnet one as well, isn't it? And I, I, when we've read it, just as all, everything that's led up to it, I don't think it is quite meaning, go and grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite relaxing Classic FM playlist, and look at the trees in quiet meditation. Now, don't, that is an amazing thing to do. I, I'm not saying that's not a great thing to do. And I wish I had time to think about making space in our lives, all the noise that we hear, you know, think great tips like Bible before phone in the morning, all things that I need to hear myself. But before we hear these words as words of, of comfort and calling for stillness, uh, which in some sense they are, we need to hear verse 10 coming on from verse 8 and 9. And that plants these words as a little bit more pointed. God is judging the world, bringing all things to an end. And so he says, be still. Be still to, to all the, the war and the violence. Literally, relax. It is, it, the word is kind of a picture of a rope that's so tightly wound, suddenly going slack. Let go. And not just be still, but know that I am God. There is a kind of confession, an acknowledgement there. Acknowledge me as the only God, power, the only authority. Let go of all your striving, of all your noise, all your raging, and live under my good rule. Take refuge in me by trusting in me. God is rebuking this raging world and calling it back to return to their maker before it's too late. Because we see that there will be a day where everyone will bow the knee and confess that he is Lord, where he is exalted among all the nations and in the earth. We see here, verse 10, it's going to come. And he's giving us a choice. We can bow the knee gladly now in adoration and know the joy of his presence forevermore. Or we can wait until the sheer force of God's awe and Perfect justice gives us no choice in the matter. Well, how can we know we're safe in the face of this judgment? How can we have confidence that we can stand? Well, we've seen God gives us help in trouble and provision. And we see that most wonderfully hundreds of years later where there's another scene of raging seas, a little like verse 2 and 3 here. In Mark chapter 4, we see the disciples are in a boat and this furious storm develops and Jesus is asleep. The storm is no threat to him, but they cry for help. And we get an echo of these words can be heard. He says to the storm, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. That, that is the force of the words in this psalm. This Jesus who calms the storm is the same God who will one day calm every storm and bring about perfect peace through perfect justice. This Jesus is the refuge that God 
gives, the help he sends to a world in need. Jesus calls us to be still and know that he is God, that he is the refuge God gives us from the coming judgments. That when we hide ourselves in in him by trusting in his death for us on the cross, well, that judgment, the wrath of God we deserve, is absorbed by him like a shelter taking the full blast of the storm, protecting those inside. But Jesus is so much more than that, isn't he? He isn't this kind of inanimate refuge that's there that we kind of jump in and then jump out of. No, he is the one whose presence and joy-giving presence marks our days until there's no more trouble to hide from. And from then into eternity in fullness of life and pleasures evermore. If you haven't trusted him, then hear him say those words, be still and know that I am God. You can do that even this morning. But if you already know that Jesus is God, then these commands are also helpful for us because we're quick to forget, aren't we? Consumed by our circumstances. But we hear those words, behold and be still. Behold the works of God, especially in Jesus. Find comfort that he will complete that work that he's begun, that peace is coming. Philippians 2 tells us that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We behold the works of God, especially in him. And we also be still and we know that Jesus is the God who we follow. We are not God, we are not in control. Someone else is. And what is he like? We look to Jesus. He lived, suffered, was crucified for us. He didn't leave us alone, but gave us his spirit. We know he's coming back to make all things right and all things new. Maybe a good thing to talk about over coffee. What do beholding and being still look like for you? Well, in extreme conditions, God brings us refuge, provision, and peace. So let's behold and be still. And then we can join in with that last verse. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's take a moment to reflect and then I'll pray.